I get to launch a new series today called Sticks and Stones. Whoever coined the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never lied. Flat out lied. Did you ever dismiss something that you thought was insignificant, only later to discover that it was very significant? In my lifetime, a couple of bungling burglars broke into a little office in a building called Watergate, and it took down a president. Insignificant. Oh, it was significant. How about Dr. Semmelweis, a Hungarian physician who in 1847 was the overseer of of a, a Vienna, Austria hospital. Now, he noticed something phenomenal. There were two maternity wards, and in one of them, the death rate of mothers was three times the rate in the other ward. He said, we have to investigate and figure this out. So he noticed, first of all, that the moms in the one ward gave birth on their backs, and in the other ward gave birth on their sides. And so he said, all moms have to give birth on their sides. But the death rates stayed three times higher in the first ward. In his investigation, he discovered that (laughs) the priests acted differently in each ward. In the ward with a high death rate, a priest would ring a bell every time a mom would die. So the theory was, moms hear the bell ring, oh, another woman has died, I'm probably going to die too, and then she dies. So no more priest ringing bells. The death rate stayed three times higher. He then noticed that in the first ward, doctors performed deliveries, and in the second ward, with a lower rate, midwives performed the deliveries. And he noticed that the doctors also performed autopsies frequently just before they were at a delivery. So he tried the most ridiculous, crazy experiment, and he said to the doctors, please, I want you, after an autopsy, to dip your hands in a chlorine bath before you deliver a baby. And the doctor said, that's crazy. We've never heard of that. It's stupid. You're the boss. Okay, we'll do it. And the death rate plummeted to well under 1%. Seemingly insignificant. Wash your hands before delivering a baby. Spared many, many lives. But you know, as things worked out, the... uh, Management of the hospital did not take kindly on his discoveries. In fact, they heard about it and they said, your doctors are doing what? Don't you know the chlorine solution stinks? It's toxic? It can kill people? No, no, no. Stop it. And they fired Dr. Semmelweis. Hmm. Well, the doctors returned to their previous practices. And for decades, women continued to die of this mysterious sickness called child bed. But he had stumbled across the fact that the simple act of washing your hands could contain the power of life or death. The Bible talks about something that is even more powerful about death and life, and here it is. Our big idea today is what you say has the power of life or death. 
in life situations. Notice our, our verse for this theme. The tongue has the power of life and death. Now, this is a pretty sobering thought because the average person speaks about 16,000 words a day. Now, that's like a 60-page book. Some of you actually speak a 100-page book, and we know who you are, yeah. Did you ever stop to think about something that seems so insignificant can be so significant, like washing your hands? Well, the same is the power with our words. If you don't believe that there's great power in words, just think back about some words that you've heard or some words that you've said that you're remembering right now, maybe 10, 20, or more years ago. It may have been just a passing comment, but you still remember it. Like I can remember the first day of eighth grade when Ann made fun of my middle name. You're all still paying for that. Do any of you know my middle name? No. Yes. And I thought, Ben, that was a private, confidential, pastoral kind of experience that we were having. Most of you don't know my name. I'm still plagued about that. Yes. Yeah. Or last night, Ann and I were in Austin Stadium, and we came into the stadium. We were looking around. There's people uh, because of season ticket holders around that we've seen over the years. And all of a sudden, a thought came to mind of eight years ago, Boise State came to Eugene to play the Ducks, and they beat us there. <laughs> Go Broncos. And I was, I was a rascal. Some of you are going to say I was a jerk. I remembered this. There was an older couple, sweet older couple, that for that game, I bought the tickets in front of us, uh, Bronco fans, and I just needled him the entire game until he reacted. And then I said to his wife, did you really bring him here? Yeah. Well, I told you that don't hold me against this church. It is a good church. I remembered that last night. It was not one of my finer moments. I understand. Now, parents can sometimes allow their emotions to dictate their words to kids. You know, all of us can probably see ourselves in this picture in some form or another. Sarcasm. Well, look who's decided to grace us with her presence tonight. And only 10 minutes late. Yeah. Or name calling. I can't believe you behaved like such an idiot in front of our guests. Or disgust. Wipe that stupid grin off your face. Or shaming. You'd probably be a little more handsome or attractive if you dropped a few pounds. Or swearing, you're just such a dumb expletive. If you have any doubt about the power of words, notice with me these words from Jesus. He says in Matthew, let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There'll be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful, so take them seriously. Your words can be your salvation and your words can also be your damnation. Now listen, uh, we're not talking about salvation by works or words. No, that would violate the bulk of biblical truth. We know that we are saved because 
of Jesus' work and his life and his death, his burial and his resurrection and forgiveness for us. But Jesus is saying, in a way that gets our attention, words are very powerful. They are not insignificant. They do make a difference, and they reveal what's in your heart. Anne's going to talk about that in part two next week. As we often do here at Evergreen, because it's our view of understanding kind of complex, murky matters in the Bible, we like to go back to the beginnings of things. We often go to the beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, the beginning of Acts in the church. Go back with me all the way to the first three chapters in the Bible, and it says this in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was a formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. From nothing, God spoke, there was something. With words, God creates. And in a much more limited fashion, we as humans created in God's image have the power of life and death in our words, our verse. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Now here's another example of the power of words. It's in Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat of any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. So we learn something in these first two pages of the Bible. So with words, the enemy seduced humans into rebellion, and hell was unleashed on earth. God created good with words. The devil destroyed and brought evil with words. So in the rest of the story, now, how does God bring us back. Well, not just with words, but with the word. Go to the beginning in the New Testament where John introduces us to Jesus, and he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, most of you know that the Greek word for word is logos, which means giving expression to an idea. So what was in God's heart toward you and me that he wanted to express? Well, God's heart was love and his desire to bring us from chaos back home. What was in God's heart was the Word to express who then became flesh. God became human, Jesus, and he is called the Word. 
So if you want to know a one-sentence summary of the entire Bible, here it is. God created with words. The devil perverted with words. And God redeemed us by sending the word. Now, during Jesus' life, he frequently used words to describe his purpose. You know a couple of stories I'll mention briefly. He's sleeping in a boat in a storm. The disciples are going across the lake. They're scared. The wind is blowing. The rain is pounding. The waves are crashing. They wake Jesus up and say, we're about to sink. Help us. Jesus stands, looks at the storm, and speaks and says, peace, be still. And immediately it was calm. Words. Even more profound, his friend Lazarus dies. He travels some distance to the home. The family's grieving. They go out to the graveside. Jesus weeps by the tomb. And then he says, roll away the stone. And the sisters object. He's been dead four days. He stinks. And Jesus said, open that grave. Lazarus, come out. And out of the darkness, Lazarus stumbles in grave clothes into the light. The power of words. Words are powerful, and God has given you the ability to speak life or death. In your home, at work, at school, it's life or death. The words you speak in your relationships are not neutral. They bring life or they bring death. Unfortunately, Dr. Semmelweis was not able to convince his colleagues that they should wash their hands. And so the death rates once again soared, accelerating suffering. Babies grew up without their moms. Dads were single parents without a wife to partner with. All because a simple thing wouldn't be done. That unnecessary tragedy and pain brought such grief for Dr. Semmelweis that at age 47, now fired, he suffered a nervous breakdown and was sent to an asylum where two weeks later he died of injuries from beatings by the guards. Hmm. Semmelweis's practice has earned widespread acceptance only years following his death with the discoveries of uh, Louis Pasteur and confirmed by the ger uh, who confirmed germ theory and by Dr. Lister who practiced medicine and operated using hygienic methods. You know him by his legacy, Listerine. Why did the establishment react in this way? Well, I think the same reason we react when we hear about something that we think is insignificant, maybe having more power than we would like for it to have. I think we react this way because, well, a couple of them. Words are powerful. Notice them on your outline and on the screen. I think it's hard to believe, first of all, because, well, to believe that our words have the power of life and death is self-indicting. We take our finger of judgment and we point it back at ourselves. 
Think about those physicians in 1847 in Vienna. Oh, you mean I am causing the death of these moms? Don't you know that my life is in service to the physical well-being of others? You can't put that on me, they would say. No, that unnecessary death is not my responsibility. No way. Take him away. I think we react to it also because it's just so simple. We want something harder. You're telling me that to wash my hands will keep moms from dying? Way too simplistic. Take him away. Get him out of here. I think we say the same thing. You're telling me that I have caused damage in my home as a nasty little sibling brother? <laughs> or I've damaged kids? I've damaged my spouse? You're telling me that part of the blame at work or at school is on me? No, I'm not accepting that. It's not my fault. Hey, I'm just a funny guy. I'm just a jokester. Get a sense of humor. Toughen up a little bit. And I think in our culture, the Me Too movement is in part a response to some of that in some settings. So we do the same thing. Misguided words, though, have a negative impact, and especially on young lives. Many of you have your own stories. Uh, Anna and I found a great uh, book. It's a workbook this week. It's called Intentional Parenting. And among other things, it has some common words that parents have used. And I don't like reading a list like this because I might have hurt myself in here. But we have all heard parents and sometimes repeatedly say these things. Think about the cumulative impact on a kid. He's shy. She's awkward. He's not very coordinated. She's not good with people. <laughs> He's just my wild child. Oh, don't do that one. Don't do that one, yeah. I think it's classic avoidance. It's, it's not my fault, or this is just too simple. But I think Dr. Semmelweis's plea, and I think God's plea for all of us, is why don't you just try it? Why don't you just put your hands in the chlorine wash and see what happens? Why don't you just put some more words of life on your lips this week and see what happens? So how can we do that? Well, I've discovered that there's three things that have been helpful for me. Let me pass them on to you as tips that you might consider this week as well. First of all, I suggest that we deal with a lifetime of words that still have a hold on us. We can hear some pretty rough stuff growing up. And these words have a tendency to define us if we allow them to continue to have power over us. <laughs> it's like the old man who couldn't hear much of anything. And he finally went to a doctor who fitted him with world-class hearing aids. And it was like a miracle. A, year, uh, we, a month later, he came back for a check-in with the doctor, and the doctor said, so how are things going? And the guy said, it's amazing. I hear everything now. And the doctor said, well, uh, what does your family think about that? You know, leading question. And the old guy says, oh, they don't know. <laughs> I haven't told them. He says, I've just been sitting around listening to them talk about me. I've changed my will three times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Many of us have been, have been hurt by words, you know. We've been hurt. And I would suggest that the only way ultimately to get free is just, is just to let it go with forgiveness. Now, here's the deal about forgiving. You can't forgive into a vacuum. You don't just empty yourself of your judgment. You have to forgive into something more powerful than you. You forgive into the hands of God. Forgiveness is not saying, I've decided to like you, so I'm not going to give you the cold shoulder treatment any longer. Forgiveness does not say, I excuse or accept what you've done for me. Forgiveness does not necessarily say, let's hang out again. Forgiveness says, I'm taking the judgment that I have made, and I'm letting the capital J judge handle that. I'm giving it over to God. I think Martin Luther King was onto this, a leader who felt and heard a lot of ugly stuff in his life. I quote, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is just too great a burden to bear. Hmm. When we forgive, when we say, I forgive you, we're saying, I give you and release you to God. Second tip that's been helpful for me is to renew your mind and reshape your heart. So how do you do that? Well, <laughs> the way God creates everything, by his word. So here it is. I'm encouraging you every day to creatively use God's word over your own life. And look at the rest of the verse that we started with. The first part says, with the tongue has power of life and death. Here's the second part. And those who love it will eat its fruit. What does that mean? Well, here's the deal. The fruit that it's speaking and believing words of life is freedom and joy. How do I do this? By speaking God's word over my life, over my relationships, over my decisions. Yeah. Listen to what God says about what happens when his word is expressed. The prophet Isaiah said it beautifully, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so it is, is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I set it. In other words, God sends his word into our life as seeds that certainly sprout and grow and bear fruit, always. Last Sunday, I caught one of the farmers here at Evergreen. And as an old farm boy, I knew that the crops that they grow and uh, I knew that they had hoped that they were in by last week. So I just simply asked the question, are the crops in? And he did just something remarkably unusual for a farmer. You know what that is? He smiled. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have never done my farm ranch shtick. Someday I'll do that for you. 
uh, maybe on our 10th anniversary in a few months, I'll do the farm ranch stick. You know, we, we are the Eeyores of all Eeyores. You know, we can take anything good and spin it into near catastrophe. It's just a phenomenal stick that we have. But he was uncharacteristically happy about that. And he said, all of the fields are planted and everything has sprouted. And the smile continued. I think God is saying that about you. This week, I want every place in your life to be planted with my word. And if it is, every seed will sprout. And I'm smiling about that for you because you're going to enjoy eating the fruit of freedom and life that comes from the harvest of my word. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, here's the deal. I know we have all seen abuses of this. We've all seen the counterfeit. Do not watch Christian television after midnight. It will mess you up. Yes, if you just confess a, a, a Tesla, God will give you a Tesla. If you don't want to be sick anymore, just confess divine health and you'll never be sick again. Your body won't age and you'll live to be a million years old. Yeah. That's a counterfeit application of the truth. And sometimes I get ticked at counterfeits and I want to reject the truth. And that's a problem. It's only a counterfeit if there's actually truth. You've probably never seen a $13 bill. Even dumb criminals are smarter than that. There's no real $13 bill. If you've seen a counterfeit application, there's probably a truth behind it. And here's the truth. God's word is powerful and it's real. And here's the real deal. The way to counteract the negative shaping of your soul by harmful words from your past is by hearing and believing and living into God's truth. And it can start by talking God's truth over your life. So I encourage you to just try it. Put your hands in the chlorine solution this week. Whatever you sow is the fruit of what you're going to eat. If you get up and sow words like, Jared, you're just worthless. You're a failure. You're a walking disaster. God's going to barely tolerate you today. That's what I'm going to have for lunch. Let's do the opposite. Here's a declaration that's been helpful for me. I'm a child of the king today, and the evil one cannot touch me. In fact, you want to try it on with me? Let's say it together boldly. I'm a child of the king today, and the evil one cannot touch me. I happen to believe that on good authority from the Bible. Three of many verses. Notice them. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. I'm going to go with that confession. I am a child of the king today, and the evil one cannot touch me. I'm going with that one. Now, this is not saying that you won't go through tough times. That would be a counterfeit application. But what it does say is when you go through tough times, 
they will not touch the real core of you, which is hidden and protected in Christ. Reshaping your heart and your mind in Christ. Here's your confession. Some of us have gotten up in the morning and we said, you know, I just continue to mire around and cycle around and today I'm probably just going to be condemned in my sin again. How about trying this one on for size? I can't believe that God is this good, but he has completely forgiven me and he is just dumping his grace and forgiveness all over me today. Therefore, I can today respond to every person with grace and forgiveness and kindness because that's how God treats me over and over and over again. Yeah. Third tip before I start preaching here. Third tip. Do a word inventory every morning or night. You know, we say around here, and you've heard it in other places, we inspect what we expect. That's how we make progress in life, isn't it? If we want something good to happen, we check in periodically. Those of us that 12-step around here, we, we know that part of our recovery is to do a fearless moral inventory. And we check in frequently. We want to stay sober. So our regular checkups on our path to sobriety include questions like, am I walking wisely? Or am I beginning to slip back in little steps in the kind of behaviors and environments that got me where I was in the first place? So this is the principle that's here. So every day do a check-in with yourself. And here's three questions that have been helpful for me. How did I do with my words today? Did I bring life or did I bring death? Did I say something that I need to repent of and make right? And when we do, when I do, I'm usually faced with some business to take care of. It's tough to talk about words, isn't it? Because we're so public with them. You hear me fail. There's other sins of the soul that you don't see me do or hear me do because they are inner sins. And I can hide those from you, but what I say and what I don't say is so very public. We probably all feel some guilt or shame about that. Today we're in an environment of forgiveness, and I need that with you. It's a few years ago that I was a leader in a large organization. We had a staff of a couple of hundred people. There was a couple, a husband and a wife, who were both employed there, and they had been for years. In a reorganization that I was responsible for, we laid a handful of people off, which included him. She continued to work for us. And one day, a few weeks after his termination, she went home and opened her garage door to find him hanging in their garage. He'd taken his life. In her grief, of course, she had time off, but she continued to work for us, but it was a matter of weeks later that she sent me a letter 
And she gave me all of the credit for her husband's decision to take his life. And I didn't handle it well. I, I didn't. I did some prudent things, some stupid corporate prudent things. I went to general counsel. I said, what should I do with the letter? The attorney gave me wise legal advice. Don't acknowledge it. I didn't. I'm not blaming him. It was my decision. I didn't respond to the letter because I didn't know what to say. And I wasn't good enough, big enough, mature enough, smart enough, humble enough to figure that out. She quit. I've never had a conversation with her. It's an ugly, loose end in my life. I don't know what to do about that today. Decision that I made, words that I was asked to respond to, my sin is one of omission. I didn't say something, something to acknowledge her and her grief. It's hard to talk about words because we're very public. And we're also very frail. <laughs> so you're going to go home with people or you're going to do life with friends this week. And some of them are here and they've listened to this and they might inspect what they expect about you now. It's hard to talk about words. But I want to encourage you today this, that God created with his words everything good. And the devil did his best with words to pervert it into evil. And God said, I can turn that back around and restore it to good. And that's your meta story that you're in. And this week is your opportunity to with me step into that good story of redemption and hey, wash your hands in a chlorine solution a little more often. Come on, try this on for size. Do this goofy confessional over your life. Come on, turn those words around that you wake up with in the morning and go ahead and stretch over into the positive side of confessing God's truth and get over goofy Christians that have made messy counterfeits of the truth and caused you to react to it and be bigger than their counterfeit and step into the truth of God's word. Here's the deal. Wise people welcome and initiate assessment. You remember Dr. Semmelweis. For decades, many believed, many died because his colleagues simply would not believe him. And as a matter of fact, today in psychology, there's something called the Semmelweis reflex. It's the knee-jerk reflex to reject new evidence without investigation or experimentation because it goes against what has been accepted or practiced. Let's not knee-jerk. Let's use the incredible power of our words to save lives, ours and others. Amen. Well, let me pray, and then we'll say amen again. God, thank you for your word that created all things good. God, we're grieved that the devil came and you were, used words to pervert it. Thank you for sending the word, Jesus, 
to die for us and live for forgiveness and life. And would you this week give us the power of your spirit and the courage to speak words of life as we are forgiven and forgiving in Jesus' name. Together, let's say amen.